Thank you to our friends from the circus for that wonderful, wonderful music. Welcome to Airtime, a basketball podcast from the minds of two currently very anxious basketball fans. My name is Vikram. Hey guys, this is Nishrat. If you guys are new or old, you can catch us wherever you get your podcast: Google, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, etc., etc., etc. Nishrat, why am I anxious? Why are you anxious? Why are we anxious right now? I mean, even though the playoffs have been absolutely great, I think we've had some very close games. I just don't know who's going to win, and that just makes me so damn anxious. Literally every game until the fourth quarter, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know who's going to be the winner, and like it's. I mean, it's great. It's great for basketball. It keeps me hooked into every game. But also, I miss the comfort of at least having a few favorites. You know, <laughs> I know what you're talking about, man. Um, I, I tend to get like anxiety whenever I watch any sport, regardless of how it's going, who's winning, and stuff like that. But this is another level. These teams are performing at such a crazy, crazy high level. They're all so close together in terms of competitiveness, in terms of skill and output and stuff like that. It's 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 nail biting and it's completely absurd that we saw two of uh, or both first seeds end up losing their first round matchups I, I don't think it's ever happened before it's never happened when i've seen basketball so that was very refreshing this entire pandemic has thrown everything off its axis and basketball's kind of seeing the best and worst of it at the same bloody time it's exhausting I agree. And I think one thing that we've seen that's happening a lot is just people are scoring so much more. So, I mean, we're seeing uh, on average, the, the points per game by a team has gone up massively over the last few years. People are shooting better from the three-point range. People are jacking up a lot more three-pointers. Defense definitely seems to be a lot worse. We saw that even with the restart games and, you know, we thought, okay, maybe some initial teething issues, you know, there might be some issues with fitness, but we're still seeing that go on. And that sort of made me wonder, like, is this sort of the consequence of, uh, you know, the time off that all these players and all these teams had? Because... When you're by yourself, you're isolated. The one thing you can definitely keep doing is you can keep practicing and training on your shooting. But definitely you cannot practice your defense, specifically team defense. And maybe that's the reason, you know, mixed with some fitness issues, etc. That we're seeing so much more offense than defense currently. Yeah, I, and just to caveat that point that you're making, this is not the explosion in scoring that we saw when this entire three-point revolution became a thing, right? 2014-15, when Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, Splash Brothers, they kind of woke the world up to to showcase the power of a three-pointer. That was obviously an explosion in terms of output and offense all across the board. And slowly and steadily, teams, coaches, media personalities, the world of NBA has adapted itself to this three-point phenomena. What you're talking about right now is the explosion in scoring this year compared to last year, right? Exactly. I mean, even over last year, the explosion. I mean, last year, the average uh, points per game was at about 107. This year has gone up to over 110. And not only that, we only had about four teams last year that averaged more than 110 points per game in the playoffs. And this year, we already have nine teams that are averaging more than 110 points per game. We actually have two that are averaging more than 120 points per game in the playoffs, which is just insane. (laughs) That's that's way too many points, dude. There's way too many points to be averaging. Fine, you have a game where you where you score 125 or something like that. But to average 120 plus is just absurd. And it's evident. I was watching the Rockets game against the OKC Thunder. And the first half, they finished with a franchise record for three points attempted, a playoff NBA-wide record for three points attempted. And obviously, they shot so low that it was as if I'd forgotten what basketball looks and feels like because of the pandemic. And my mind auto-switched to this 2014-2013 level of basketball. Everything the Houston Rockets designed from a play point of view was three-point attempt first. 
any pick and roll, any any situation where they're trying to space out a guy, isolate a guy, whatever it was, the play was derived only around a three-pointer being taken and players were happily just chucking threes. And it's clear, Daryl Morey is very data-driven, who's the general manager of the Rockets. And he said on a couple of podcasts and interviews and stuff like that, he's like, listen, it's a numbers game. It's like the Moneyball version of basketball. Three points gets you one point more than a two-pointer. From a skill perspective, it's not as tough to do because, I mean, we used to shoot threes, man. It's it's not the hardest thing to do. And especially if people are not guarding you. I mean, 2014 to 2018, you could see the Warriors, how they took advantage of that. And now the entire league's woken up. And it's not stopping. I thought that last year would have sort of normalized and would have been the peak of how much a three-point shot is adapted. But this year is just blowing my mind. I mean, just uh, speaking about those Rockets, they're currently averaging 54 three-point attempts a game <laughs> out of 90 total field goal attempts. So this is just like insane numbers. It's oh, 10 wait, more it's, than what it, they were averaging last year. I thought it'd be closer to 100% of their attempts because it totally feels like that right now, man. I mean, they do drive in sometimes, right? So it's like either you go drive in and get a really good shot at the rim, or you just what? kick it Only out. There are, no, there are no mid-range jumpers. No mid-range jumpers are allowed. Yeah, that, that's just Kawhi Leonard is probably the only guy who still believes in mid-range jumpers, and he is kind of proving that those work as well. So that there, it's not like three point or no point, right? Like that, there's multiple ways to play a basketball game effectively, and if you're efficient and stuff like that, but. I don't know. It feels like it's an easy way out. So most teams who don't have players as talented as Kawhi or Paul George or something like that, they understand that if they adapt the three-point play or three-pointers as their go-to play, that they're more likely to succeed. And you're seeing it now. Each and every team is a bona fide three-point shooting unit. There is no team out there which we can say that they don't take three-pointers or they're bad at their three-pointers. Some team might take lesser attempts or something like that some team might have less lesser efficiency or something like that but it's still a potent weapon in the offensive arsenal so here's a weird metric i'll give you we've seen how the potent trailblazers are doing and of course when you think of the potent trailblazers you think of dame time you think of cj mccullum you think of damian lillard's insane long range of where he shoots from but surprisingly enough the potent trailblazers as a team are near the bottom in terms of three-pointers attempted so they're actually just third from the bottom in terms of three-pointers attempted which for me was a little bit surprising. That is pretty surprising, man. I thought they'd be much higher up. What about their efficiency numbers? Their efficiency numbers also for three-pointers are not that good. Uh, in terms of their three-point efficiency, also they're close to the bottom. Not as bad. They're about 11th out of 16 playoff teams. But again, not that good. So it looks like Dame's the only one who's actually jacking them up. The rest of the team sort of tries to still go for the inside game. Ah, that makes sense. I mean, Dame's good enough, man. We saw it in the first game against the Lakers. We saw it, well, for a for a while in the second game before he injured his uh, his hand. Speaking of, Nishit, I totally forgot about this. That was something I predicted last episode, right? Could you let our viewers know what it was? I, I actually don't remember. I don't, I don't ah. remember predicting anything. You're not, ah. you're not a predictor. Ah. Are you? I did. Are you? I did. <laughs> I am. I have become one officially. I should, I should take, like, force the mantle of... Uh, the profit from you. I basically said that this is before uh, the playoff action actually started. And I was on a Dame high because it was Dame time uh, where I was um, at that point of time. And I weirdly predicted that by the time we record the next episode, which is happening right now, which is happening before game three between Lakers and Portland Trailblazers, the score would be 1-1. And lo and behold, I feel a light shining down at me. Is this normal <laughs> Nishrit? Is this, is this what profits are supposed to look and feel like? Because I'm feeling super prophetic right now. Uh, all right, fine. I guess I'll have to begrudgingly give that to you. You did get that 1-1 right. But honestly, after seeing the, the, the number one seeds against the number eight seeds, that anxiety is just coming back. I mean, 
again lakers favorites coming into it uh, at the start even though i thought the bucks would sort of, sort of be the the ones at the top and the ones who take it but both teams just look super shaky the lakers not as efficient uh, as i thought they would be even in a you know in a game where a lot of people are taking extra three pointers i thought like a team that's got so much inside presence so many great veterans like the lakers would be able to sort of shine but that's not what we've seen and the bucks I mean, their perimeter defense has just been terrible. The three-pointers have always bothered the Bucks, and we've seen that continuously even when they lost to the Nets, when they lost the first game to the Orlando Magic in the playoffs. And honestly, at this point, I don't really know who to call a favorite. It's crazy, dude. Like, if you look at the East, I know we've spoken about this a bunch. If you look at the East, especially, like, there is no one team, maybe barring the Nets and the Magic, there is no other team that I can confidently say is going to go to round two and then the championship finals, uh, the the conference finals as well. It's it's absurd how close the competition is. I'm sure there are a lot of factors that work into this. I'm sure like players getting rest for like two to three months is is definitely helping this. I remember I was watching the the Rockets and Thunder game and and the the announcer mentioned, which made a lot of sense to me, is like usually by this time of the season, James Harden has been worn down. Just because he's been going ham all season long and his legs show it, his his attitude shows it. And sometimes, you know, he just has he has way more off nights than he usually supposed to do. But two to three months of rest. I mean, all these guys are energized. They're all chucking threes like we just discussed uh, earlier in this episode as well. And if, if you have decent enough efficiency, then I mean... That there's not there's no one team that you can't beat anymore. I don't think that's the case anymore. Yeah, I agree, and I think the the Magic have. I mean, I think the Blazers being sort of playing the way they have and giving the Lakers a tough time was a little bit more expected because you know when you've got players like Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, having Yusuf Nurkic back. I mean, the the Blazers are a lot lower than they should have been seeded. And again, this is a team that uh, reached to the Western Conference Finals last year. So them giving the Lakers a tough time isn't as surprising to me as, you know, what is going going on with the Bucks at the moment. So, and considering in my bracket, I have them pegged to win it all. Yeah, I'm pretty nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think uh, we'll both be regretting our picks for w- winner takes all once the time comes. You know what? I want to talk about the Lakers a lot more. But before that, can we just take a quick look at the bracket since you mentioned it? So like we mentioned last episode, our West got just tossed around because... We couldn't decide who was going to finish 4th to 6th, basically, or 3rd to 6th, rather. So my 3, 4, 5, 6 got tossed around, and uh, the only thing I ended up nailing was my 1st pick, my 8th pick, uh, my 2nd and 7th pick. So Lakers Blazers and Clippers Mavericks. So I ended up only getting 4 points from my Western Conference. What about you? Yeah, I did a little bit better, because uh, I didn't think the Rockets would jump all the way up to the 3rd seed. So I actually uh, ended up getting 5 out of eight, obviously, me trying to put the Pelicans in there and the eight seed didn't work out so well. And the Thunder were the big dark horse who basically jumped, uh, who jumped sort of the numbers that I had predicted and went up to that fifth seed. So, yeah, I still ended up getting five points. So, did better than you. Mm. On the East, though, I think, again, putting the paces, the, the, the flip and expecting the 76 to drop to the sixth seed was a smart move, which both of us did. But I think what we didn't expect was the paces to come up and take that fourth seed from the Heat. So because of that sort of faux pas, if you will, I ended up with four points in the East for a total of nine. Yeah, I have the same points as you from the East. I think the other mistake that we made was just uh, not valuing that Magic squad at all, right? So Magic and Nets, that's what ended up goofing up what I thought would be a clear two points for me. 
So that was really weird. I think you goofed up because you didn't even have the Nets in there. You just thought the Wizards are going to come take it all in terms of the eighth seed. So yeah, so I have four points on both conferences. That's a total of eight for me. And the and you're not too far ahead. I'm I'm not I'm not too worried about this lead. Of, Doesn't matter uh, how badly point. you lose, as long as you lose. Hey, I'm a prophet <laughs> now. You don't talk to a prophet like that, dude. What's your tone? Okay, <laughs> we'll see till the end of the bracket. <laughs> anyway, uh, what I want to talk about now is the Los Angeles Lakers, man. We already touched upon it earlier in the episode. Shaky is an understatement. From what we saw with the the seeding games, the last eight games from the regular season, well, I expected them not to go all out there. I expected them to use that time to get into the the flow of things and and get their rotations set and and figure out like you know just get everyone warmed up essentially for the playoffs. And that is not what happened at all. They ended up winning, I think, only two of those games, and you could see that there were a lot of issues which we presumed initially to be on-court issues and not being able to like get their stuff right. But apparently, there was some off-court stuff that was going on. And then, you know, it's playoffs. And playoffs is where LeBron James lives and thrives. So once the playoffs came, you know, everyone's like, okay, fine. They're going to do what they're going to do. But that that first game loss to the, to the Blazers actually was pretty eye-opening, I think, because I didn't expect them to lose the way they did. And by the way they did, what I mean is, LeBron had a monster game, all right? Let's 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 get that out of the way because it's very obvious. 23 points, 17 rebounds, 16 assists. First person ever in playoff history to go 20 plus, 15 plus, 15 plus. That's absolutely those are some insane numbers. Those are mad numbers, but the one thing that that that's startling here is the 23 points. Cuz LeBron in playoffs 23 points is a bad game. Regardless of how many assists or rebounds you get, I don't care. LeBron in 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 playoffs 23 points, not a good game. Lakers shot 5 for 32 from 3. After all that we said in the first half of this episode, especially regarding 3-point shots and the efficiency needed to be high and all teams can compete, 5 for 32 from 3 does not cut it. You are most likely going to lose a game when you shoot like that. So my question to you is, is LeBron finished? And just to clarify, by finished, I don't mean finished. He's LeBron. He's he's a beast. He's not finished, definitely. But have we seen the last of the 40-burger beast mode solo win LeBron? Are, are we going to see LeBron guide teams single-handedly to the finals wherever he is needed? Or is the crutch of Anthony Davis too much and he's going to actually take a step back and focus on his team game more? Even when his team demands it, for example, in game one, Anthony Davis came up short. We needed to see that 40-burger LeBron. We didn't and they lost the game. Game two, Anthony Davis came in clutch. Without him, they would have lost the game as well. We didn't say anything from LeBron. So w- what can I expect going into this playoffs? Have I seen the last of 40-burger LeBron? Because if I have, I have to say my goodbye right now. So I think this is this is a, this is a tough sort of uh, uh, thing to look at, right? I mean, of course, LeBron is still playing at a really high level. Um, and he, you can definitely see that what he's his mindset has changed, right? It's become more about trying to get his team to succeed. He sees that, you know, he's reaching maybe the end of his prime, uh, you know, in the next few years, if not already. And he sees the, his role more as a facilitator. And we've seen him try to do that in this entire season. And we're also seeing that, you know, happen so far in the playoffs. Um, I mean, if you look at it, even right now, he's averaging, apart from scoring, where he's only averaging 16.5 points per game through two games, he is averaging 11.5 assists and 11.5 rebounds. Um, but I think one part to that is his team, the rest of the team just hasn't lived up to what he's expected of them. So, I mean, the Lakers are shooting a worse 27.1% from three-point range and they're shooting about 41% overall. So, their shooting is just terrible. So, I think LeBron, although trying to facilitate, the people he's passing to just aren't coming up with the shots. 
and even the Blazers Lakers games have been the lowest scoring games out of uh, lowest scoring series out of any other so far uh, which is maybe where you can say maybe there's more defense being played with these two teams but knowing the Blazers as we are is probably that guys are just not being as efficient so I think it's more of a mindset thing I don't think I don't think LeBron is at that level where you know fourth quarter we say we need LeBron now he can just turn it on that quickly and become the dominating force I think it's a mindset he has to go in from the start of the game and continue being that way so I don't think you've seen the end of it I don't think you've seen the last of it I still think we might end up seeing a few games where you'll see LeBron come and try to dominate from the start to finish but what I definitely feel will not happen anymore is where LeBron subdued the entire game and suddenly fourth quarter he just comes alive and just destroys the other team I don't think he has that switch in him anymore Ouch. I mean, I agree with you mostly, man. See, one thing that that a lot of people uh, there's a lot of noise being made about is him taking the assist uh, crown for this year, right? Obviously, massive effort. It's something that's not expected from LeBron, but that that does one one thing that that's really confusing to me or which really irritates me honestly is the fact that people think that LeBron has created new assists out of fresh air. I don't think that's the case. It's just that the way this lakers roster is set up there isn't anyone or there isn't anyone that lebron or frank vogel and all these guys trust who can take care of those assists there's no point guard he's running point for the lakers which means that he's sacrificing on the potency of his offense by being an indirect um, addition to it rather than being a direct addition to the offense right so it doesn't mean that he's if he's if he's making 16 assists a game that doesn't mean there's 16 assists on top of what the lakers are usually averaging in terms of assists those are six, those 16 assists are most of the assists that are being made from lakers as a unit so therefore it doesn't mean they're making they're scoring more points so that that's my only issue there like a lot of people are alluding to the fact that you know oh he's he's changed his game cuz he's look at him he's serving the ball more and this and that that's because they don't have anyone to do that who's as good as maybe lebron when he does it so that's also going to take away from his offensive contribution if there was a kyrie irving guy who could run the ball who could run point on the ball then lebron wouldn't need to do that he could focus on scoring he could focus on setting up plays and then i feel like that's where the true efficiency for the lakers needs to come in so they're actually according to me missing a key piece in that roster that's going to help them make a make a deep run because you do need that lebron when the time comes anthony davis is not going to be there each and every game who can solo carry you guys albeit with lebron rebounding and assisting to glory he's not going to solo carry or win to a championship otherwise the pelicans would have been champions already or fine they didn't have lebron there to to support ad but it's still not enough you you need a deep roster always to make a deep run in the playoffs and this is why this is this this is a time where like teams like the clippers and the blazers and you know all these guys are going to come through and actually actually hurt these guys when the time comes that's what i think so i agree with you mostly that you know the fact that he hasn't done it for two seasons that could also be holding him back because physically he's he hasn't reached that level in a while so mindset wise uh, physical fitness wise his body is not ready and i feel like he's geared his body and his strength and his conditioning more towards being um being a creator rather than a playmaker so so i think they've consciously taken this decision as a unit or ad and lebron together whatever it is that ad is going to be the focus the point focus of it and i'm going to just make sure the team is doing whatever it needs to do because he is also a player who's at such a high level that he can fill in the deficiencies fill in the gaps within a unit and he's kind of taken the the selfless route here but I don't know if that's going to be enough for the I Lakers, mean I think man. it's a question of how long that lasts. I mean even now when you see LeBron take that ball and try to like dictate and just go into the lane and score it's hard to stop him. And 
at some point that decision between taking that uh, that route and you know deciding that the team needs to win at any cost i think that'll be a question which where you know he'll have to take a call on what he needs to do my other question around this though is that uh, you know rajon rondo is back in the in the bubble he's going to he's been starting to practice the idea the, the thought is that he will be back sooner rather than later do you think that then sort of helps in this entire conundrum of lebron having to carry the ball the entire time uh no not not because that's only taking care of one rotation right so it depends on if they want to front load one rotation with lebron ad and rajan rondo in it which i don't think is going to be of value because your second rotation is going to be hurting really bad there so i can totally see rondo overlapping some minutes with uh the main rotation and some minutes with the secondary rotation so that he can still he can be a glue and you don't massively drop when your when your second five is on the court right so i don't think one player solves it i think they were hoping more from kcp to be helpful especially from a ball distribution point of view he's actually had a very underwhelming restart to the nba i think that's that's one place that they're deficient and caruso's well he's always been like a wild card sort of a player man even when caruso and lebron are both on the floor it's mostly lebron who's running the ball still and caruso's just being like a spanner in the works sort of a wrench in the plan sort of a guy who'll go isolate somewhere or he's he's an integral part of their rotation and pick and roll and the play that's happening on court so i think rajon rondo's going to help but i don't think he's the solution to what i think the issue is with the lakers okay that's fair i mean i think at the moment both number 1 seeds are struggling uh, even with the bucks uh, not really sure atetokounmpo still being beastly as he can be but the bucks just don't look right so i'm not scared about both number 1 seeds at the moment i know dude i feel like i'm scared about everyone the only team i can confidently say are not going through are the 76ers against the celtics and that's mostly cuz ben simmons is missing and we know that uh even with Ben Simmons on it was a tough matchup for them but Joel Embiid can't single-handedly beat this Celtics lineup. Yeah, I think that was a call that Joel Embiid will probably be the best player on the floor most nights but the 76ers are definitely still not going to go through. <laughs> yeah. Dude, they're uh, they're so scared about Jason Tatum that they're starting Matisse Thybulle who's an excellent defensive player and a deplorable offensive player. So the fact that they're sacrificing one out of the five people they have on the floor just so that they have a guy who can contain Jason Tatum goes to show that they are not going to be able to do much damage. Also I mean I think the the one thing the Philadelphia 76ers do have going for them is they they have some of the longest and weirdest names of any of any rotational players that I've seen in the <laughs> NBA. So we've got Matisse Thybulle and they've got Furkan Korkmaz. <laughs> 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 so between those two, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm pretty. I'm, that's the only one in my bracket that I'm confident of. The Celtics coming through there. That and Raptors and Nets. I think Bucks are still going to come through, but Heat and Pacers, for example. I mean, even though the Heat are two zero up, the Pacers we know can just switch it on or more. And more it's like, been a, it's been a great series. I mean, I think the score doesn't show how close some of the games have all, been, yeah. but there's also been sort of one moment where the Heat have just been able to turn it up with a three point shooting and somehow take that sort of log, bigger lead and then win it. Yeah, I'm I'm glad we're seeing like the Jimmy buckets we're used to just the hardcore hustling. If I need to take a three-pointer, I'll take it. Otherwise, I'm going to run at you. Nuggets and Jazz, I mean, Jazz were slightly underwhelming. They were it seemed like they'd punched above their weight with their seeding finish. So I I see Nuggets going through there. Rockets and Thunder, I mean, on paper, you know it's going to be the Rockets and it is 2-0 up for them, but the Thunder is just like you said with the Heat and Pacers game, man. The Rockets and Thunder has been close for most part. Uh, Westbrook's injury is not helping them. and clippers and mavs case in point 1-1 so you 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 want to say the clippers are going to come through i want to say the clippers are going to come through cuz they're my pick to win it all but it's tough 
I mean, the, I would love the Mavs to be able to make some noise, and I'm really happy that they took that game. I mean, they are the best offensive team in the NBA at the moment, so and it's just so much fun to watch, and I just love what's happening with Luka Doncic. So it'll be great. I mean, I I predicted this series going at least six or seven games, so I still think that's what's going to happen, and it'll be super fun to use to watch uh, each of those games as well. Totally feasible if it goes that long, man. In fact, the first game that the Clippers won, there was a big argument that can be made is that Krista uh, Porzingis got ejected from that game. And mm-hmm. if he would have stayed on, then the game could have turned out different and we could have been looking at a 2-0 Mavs lead as well. But, I mean, I can you can never discount Kawhi Leonard, dude. That boy is a mad beast. So, I, I don't know. I, I never want to say anything against him. I'd rather say something against LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard, honestly, at this point. So, I'm not too sure, man. <laughs> anything can happen there. And it's just, again, like like we started this episode, super anxious just staring at my bracket right now. <laughs> so, you know, this entire sort of restart and the kind of, you know, long-range threes and the increase in number of three-pointers we're seeing, plus players like, you know, Damian Lillard, James Harden, uh, going back to guys like Seth Curry, who obviously is not in the playoffs, but, you know, that entire change that came about of three-point shooting. And we always go into who have been these, you know, transcendental players who've just changed the game. Uh, you know, obviously Michael Jordan was there. Uh, you had LeBron who came in, who we think just changed the game. And then I think Steph Curry has to be up there because if I think about it, if you took the long range bombers, so that includes Steph, includes Dame Lillard, includes James Harden and put them against the teams in the 80s and 90s, like those teams wouldn't even know what to do for the first few games. And we were looking at games where Damian Lillard was getting double teamed the second he crossed the halfway line and still scoring. Like... No team, no team in the 80s and 90s would have put their defenders to defend you when you cross the halfway line. It makes no sense, yeah. right? So, I mean, I think it would just be it would have just been a massive shock initially to see these players just like jacking up threes from midcourt. Yeah, I can totally like just disbelief is the reaction, and uh, also like I, if you think about it, even this three point revolution that we witness now, all these old school guys like Charles Barkley and even like Magic Johnson and all, right? They were very dismissive of it and they said that this doesn't win you titles and uh, the Warriors went and won titles and they're like okay this is not a long-term solution the game needs to adapt itself and now you see all these guys like it's still taking them four or five years to get adjusted to it it would have taken people like eight nine years in the 80s because it's just it's just so far away from the game that was being played there like highly physical very dominant on the defensive end like Steph wouldn't have been able to fake a three and go inside because he would probably would have gotten clotheslined by Clyde Drexler or someone. And the, <laughs> the fact that, I mean, it would just like disbelief is the only thing I can think of. And maybe some guys wake up and get used to it. But defensively, I think it might have caused these guys a little more problems because, for example, they rely on pick and rolls to create space. So pick and roll wasn't as easy to do, man, because I could hold your jersey. I could... I could nudge you in the ribs if you were setting a screen on me and stuff. So maybe the space uh, creation bit would have altered. But yeah, I mean, it would have been a joke, honestly, because the only guy who would have who would have adapted to it close enough, I think, would have been Jordan. Because the only reason he didn't take threes was because it wasn't the norm. But uh, being the competitor he is and the player he was, uh, he would have adapted to it pretty quickly. And once Jordan adapts, then... NBA would have adapted so who knows I think the trend would have been the same it might just have looked uh, a little longer in terms of the NBA adapting it but I'm very curious to see what those defensive rule sets would apply to uh, a sharpshooter like a Steph Curry or someone and I mean that that brings another question right in terms of the evolution of the game do we and a lot of people have said this is the way the Rockets are playing right is that the next evolution where people just say you know what basic math 
threes are, you know, get you more points per shot than two. So why even bother with two-point shooters? I mean, we're seeing the mid-range game go down. Are we going to see penetration drop as well? Are we going to see, you know, less importance given to big, big men? As it as has been happening year after year and so far culmination being sort of the Rockets experiment that they're trying. But, I mean, do we see this continuing? I mean, what's what's next? They just put like only guards, nobody over 6'5 that have to play on the team. <laughs> I don't know, dude. I've thought about this a lot. I think, I mean, even Darren Mori and what these guys are doing, it's it's so data-driven, moneyball-esque in terms of how to play the game. I don't think it'll it'll go any further unless they win a championship. Because at the end of the day, that's what it is. Like, you're playing for all the beans, right? So if you don't win a championship, then what's the point? And we've seen the Rocket make such good strides in the regular season and and play so well and Harden winning MVP and all of that stuff. But come playoff time, like if if you can't run deep with that style of play and you get knocked off even in like the second round of the conference finals or whatever it is, I don't see that as a viable way to play basketball anymore. Because if if the Rockets would have won a championship across the for, uh, across the last five years uh, playing this style of basketball, then fine. There's there's some argument to be made that yeah, this works. Look, all of NBA could not stop you from winning. Therefore, this works. The fact that they haven't won a championship and if they don't win a championship for the next year or maybe two years, I don't see it continuing as a trend. I, well, I, can I mean, this is, the first, this is the first year they've done the extreme. So I guess, and also honestly, with the way everything's going, this is probably the best chance they have to prove it. Yeah. Um, because of all the uncertainty that we have. Yeah, I think small ball, small ball is up for argument right now. Three-point shooting is definitely not because we've seen other teams do it. But the other teams have, even the Warriors, at the height of their Splash Brothers and taking threes and all that, they never did this. They they still had plays that were designed to um, um, drive in and like get like someone like they Draymond were. They were free. never even the highest three-point shooting team in any of the playoffs. They were always like fourth or fifth somewhere around there. They had great percentages, but they never jacked the yeah. most threes. Yeah, so I think I think this. This season is uh, make or break for small ball. And uh, I think if this the, the Rockets, which, uh, why would they not? They're, they're definitely going to continue because they've seen some level of success, especially the combination of D'Antoni and Daryl Morey. If these guys continue to um, sort of piggyback on this three-point revolution and make that their go-to, if not almost always used plan, and they don't win a championship in the next two years, I can totally see them uh, or or the NBA as a whole striking down this numbers money ball sort of trend and go back to like a healthy mix of everything. All right, makes sense. Um, so now we've still got we're in the thick of the first round. Uh, probably the next time we'll talk to you, we'll have some winners and we'll have some ideas of what the second round looks like. Uh, yeah. But one thing I can definitely guarantee is going to be super entertaining and we're going to be super anxious till it all ends. I can't wait, dude. I can't wait to just, uh, just watch the matches tonight as well. I, the only thing, that, I mean, the complaint with the NBA has always been the timing of the matches, but obviously they're not going to change them for one kid in India who wants to watch the matches in the afternoon, right? I'm happy to happy to stay awake, wake up early, whatever needs to be done. And yeah, next time we catch you guys, it's going to be a better picture in terms of what round two looks like. Hopefully, we'll be much closer to predicting who we think should go to round two. Uh, whether we made the right picks in the bracket and whether you guys have made the right picks in the bracket. So yeah, catch you guys next episode. Hope you have a good week. Bye-bye. Bye, guys.